Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to the book of Galatians, please. The book of Galatians, chapter number 6. I'm actually going to preach an outline that was Dr. Heller's. Now, the body of the sermon is, is my sermon, but um, I, I have this card. I was going through some things over the course of the last couple weeks, and I found this card that I had scratched down some notes, an outline that he had preached, and I had written at the top his name. I don't even know what the title of his sermon was. Didn't write anything else down, but I wrote down these four points. And I want to share this with you. Look at Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I want you to notice two words located in verse number 10 that serve as the title of the message tonight. And these two words are, do good do good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for allowing us to gather together. I pray that you would help us to um, listen, not just with our ears, but with our heart. May we be obedient to that which you ask of us. I'm quite sure that there'll be things that the Spirit of God will pinpoint in in our life that we need to accomplish. And may we be faithful to doing just that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1995, there was a foundation established by a lawyer and a book publisher. His name was Will Glennon. The foundation that Glennon had, had started was named the Random Acts of Kindness and was headquartered in Denver, Colorado. This random act of kindness actually was something that had started years before in California, right in a restaurant, when Ann Herbert scrawled the word, words on a placemat, and I quote, practice random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty. Well, this whole idea of random acts of kindness began to be seen on signs and billboards and bumper stickers all across America. And there in the 90s and into the 2000s, you probably saw one of those signs that said, practice random acts of kindness. Well, there's actually been a special day set apart. I believe it's February 17th. And for that day, promoters of the day suggest that people go ahead and pay for another person's meal in drive-thrus. How many have ever had that blessing when you go through a drive-thru? God bless you. Wonderful. 
How many have done it in return? I, I don't want to see the hands. Uh, how about this on, on uh, this particular day? Letting somebody go ahead in line, buying extra at the grocery store and donating it to a food pantry, buying flowers for somebody, uh, helping somebody change a flat tire, posting anonymous sticky notes with validating or uplifting messages for other people to find, complimenting a colleague on their work, sending an encouraging text message to somebody, taking muffins to work, letting a car into the traffic ahead of you. Boy, that's a novel idea, isn't it? Uh, Washing somebody else's car, taking a gift to the new neighbor, paying somebody's bus fare, and on and on it could go, but random acts of kindness. But I submit to you tonight that this day or this concept didn't begin some 25 or 40 years ago. It's actually a principle that was established in biblical writings. When you look at the Old Testament, you find in Leviticus 25, 35, and if thy brother, God says, be waxen poor and fallen in decay with thee, then thou shalt relieve him, yea, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with thee. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, to thy needy, and thy land. Proverbs 29, 7, The righteous considereth the cause of the poor, but the wicked regardeth not to know it. And then another verse in Proverbs, He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given him will he pay him again. But it's not just in the New Old Testament we come in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5, verses 40 to 43, talk about showing uh, kindness to those that might abuse you of various things and giving a cloak to somebody and, and helping people go the extra mile. Luke chapter 6, verse 27, But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good unto them which hate you. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Acts 20, verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I could go on and on tonight and speak about this very subject from all different types of scriptures, but I come back to those two words in verse number 10 where Paul the apostle tells these Galatians believers to do good. This message is for all believers. It can be accomplished by all believers, and it is very broad in its scope. Notice it didn't say do good by making sure you get text messages sent out or do good by writing little notes to people or do good. Guess what? God can open up your mind and allow you to do those wonderful acts of kindness upon others. Let me give you this outline. First of all, number one, I want you to notice in verse number 9 and 10, a task assigned to us. It is found, this task, in those two words, the title of the message, do good. Now, Paul is writing to believers, so it's very important for us to get the context right. You know, it's one thing for, to do good for those that are outside of the church, to do random acts of kindness for those that are our neighbors or those maybe that we work with or that, we, that are strangers to us that we run into. But it's a whole other thing to do these good deeds within the local church. Can I say to you, true Christians 
should be known by this. Did not Jesus say, and it's written throughout the Bible, that having love for one another is something that ought to characterize us as believers? John put it this way, I believe, that it should be known about all of you who are believers that name the name of Christ, that you love one another. That love is not just talking. That love is not just saying, oh, I love the church. We can talk so generally. But that love ought to come down where the rubber meets the road and we do special things to help other people. Do you realize Christianity has been known as a do-gooder religion, if you will, if I can put it in that way? Before Christianity, there weren't really orphanages, hospitals, schools for the average children. Think with me about what Christianity has done over the course of history. The organizations that have been started, that many of these were started as Christian organizations. Do you realize the Salvation Army that now today wouldn't necessarily uh, attribute to themselves and talk much about Christianity and the gospel by faith? But that was started as a Christian work whereby it would help people with social things, but they gave the gospel. There was an organization, maybe you'll recognize the letters here, Young Men's Christian Association, the YMCA. Today it is far gone from its Christian roots, but do you realize when it was started, it was started to do things to help out other people as well as to give the gospel. I'm thrilled about what's going on with the Samaritan's Purse. Many years ago, long before Franklin Graham had gotten involved, this organization had already been going on, but here it is. They are a disaster relief organization that comes in and is helping people. I can't tell, begin to even tell you as I get around into our community and talk to people about what they're doing, and here's what people say. I, I just can't believe they're doing all this. I can't believe all the orange shirts I see in the community. I can't believe that they would come to my house and do this. That was one guy that said that to me last week. He said, I can't even believe that people would come by and not even receive a dime from us, but that they would do this work. How wonderful it is. But it's because you and I as believers have followed the injunction to do good. This injunction of doing good is extended to all men, all women. We are to look around in our neighborhoods and find where we can do good. If you're still working a regular job, you ought to find where you can do good in the workplace. If your family is unsaved, you ought to find where you can do good in your family. But Paul didn't just say here to do good outside of the church walls. Notice what he said here, we're to do good unto all men and then look at the last phrase, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Sometimes it is easier to help out the strangers than it is to help out those whom we know well. But it should be the practice of every person here that names the name of Christ that they will do good to one another. You know, Paul didn't just give this as a preacher and point the finger and say, now I want to tell you something, you out there do good. Very interesting here in the language that is given. Look at verse number eight. Paul's talking here where he's telling them, he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. So he's pointing to others here, but now notice verse number nine, let 
And look at this. Us, consider, uh, not, not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Paul didn't come in to preach this message and say, well, I'm better than you and I don't need any of this. No, Paul said, we, all of us, us, need to get out and do good to all. How is it that you can get out and help people? It might be that you write a note to somebody. I can't tell you over the years how many times I've received notes, handwritten notes. Now, I'll tell you what, I like email, the access of email, but there is nothing that replaces a handwritten note. Now, I try to write notes, but sometimes my, my writing, you know, people have to have a hard time deciphering my handwriting, and I try to write it out as legibly as I can. In fact, if you want to know what I write, ask Connie or ask my wife, and maybe they can decipher what I write, but uh, they've looked at my writing enough. But writing notes to people, saying an encouraging word. You know, when you come into church, what is your focus as you come into this building? Is your focus just to sit down and just go ahead and wait for the service to start? Or do you find somebody that you can say an encouraging word to? I just can tell you right now, scanning across this auditorium, there's a number of needs right here tonight. There are people that are hurting. There are people that have some things that they're battling with. And boy, an encouraging word by doing good to others is a help, helping out a need. Boy, have not the needs abounded here in the last several weeks? I mean, with the things that are going on, we have people in our own church here today who need uh, help and how much, uh, how valuable it is that we get in help, praying for one another, showing grace where it is needed. So this whole aspect here of doing good is vital that we do it. So what's the task assigned to us? It is to do good. But now notice verse number 10, there is a time allotted to us. He says here, as we have therefore opportunity. And notice those words. As we have therefore opportunity. Now the word opportunity in the English is a very interesting word. When it's translated here from the Greek language, the original language in which the New Testament is written in, literally the word means a time or a season. But the word opportunity as well in, this, in the original language refers to something that is coming to a head. In fact, uh, the, 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 the very word opportunity as far as the, the Latin of it has this idea of something that is going towards a harbor or something that is going towards a port. So how does that all reference to us here today? Well, you and I are to look for the things that are coming to a head that need our attention. You know, none of us asked for that day at the end of September to come around and this hurricane to blow through and do the damage it did. But you know what? There's an opportunity for us to do good. God put this in our lap. God knew we could handle it. God gave us the opportunity, and therefore it is imperative that we do good to all men, especially those that are of the household of faith. God has placed certain people in your life whom you learn or know certain things about their life, and therefore you have an opportunity that is brought before you. There's a time, there's a season in which you can help them. 
Now, here's the sad part about most Christians. Here's how we live our Christian life. You ready? And I don't mean, I'm not putting my head down as in discouragement. I say that all we do is look down. We're not looking up at the needs that are around us. We're concerned about us. We're concerned about our needs. We're concerned about the things that we're facing. And all we're doing is looking down at our spiritual ground ahead of us and maybe saying, woe is me, or maybe wondering how God's going to supply. But we're not looking up at the needs around us. And I'm telling you, often when I counsel somebody who's going through some difficult times, I'll often say, I want you to call this person. And I don't tell them why to call. I just say, just call them and ask them, what are you going through right now? How can I pray for you? And I will know that truthfully that the person I'm telling to give that call is, is as they call that person, that person is going through some great trials. And I've had on a couple of occasions, the person come back to me and say, boy, I thought I had it rough until I called so-and-so. And I found out that they had a whole lot worse than I did. So it's important that we look around us, but it is also important that we stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. How many times has the Holy Spirit prompted you about a need? Boy, there's been a lot of times the Holy Spirit's prompted me about a need, and I've not followed through on it. But I sure have been very glad when God has prompted me about something, and I have acted upon it. And I'm telling you, there's great rejoicing. The Lord has, the Lord knows what he's doing. Now, let me just tell you something. In a group this size right here, there are needs that even as a pastor, I don't know about. There are needs that most of you don't know about each other. But I know someone that knows the need of every single heart in here. It's God, the Holy Spirit. And when God wants to meet the need of another person, he'll tap someone else on the shoulder and he'll say, go over and help them. Go over and talk to them. Go over and ask, can you pray for them? Go and ask, can there be something that you can do? And boy, it's amazing how God begins to meet the need. But my friend, I want to tell you, there's a time allotted to us. God gives us these opportunities in this life. I've never met a person who is, who is in the process uh, of passing away. They're on their deathbed who has said, you know, I've just helped too many people in this life. I've never been a person on their dying bed who has said, uh, uh, I, I just, I, I, I wish I had spent more time on myself and just my job and my things and not cared about the concerns of others. You know what I hear many times? I wish I did more. I wish I helped out more. I wish I got involved more in the church and I helped out the needs that were there at the church because, my friend, there is a window of time in this life and it is imperative that you take hold of it. You say, well, I'll tell you what, I'm such and such age. I think I'll live another 20 years. Give me another year or so. You may not get another year. You may get in an automobile accident and find yourself crippled at home and you can't get out and actually physically meet the needs anymore. Having pastored in Southwest Florida for all of my adult life, I have been around people who are 
much, much older than I am, and I have met many people who come to the later years of their life and they can't do what they used to do. And they have responded to me in many occasions and have said, Oh, preacher, I wish I could get out and do this. I wish that my health would uphold that I could help in this ministry and do this, but I'm stuck at home. Now, here's what I tell them. You still can pray. And I encourage them to pray over and over for the ministries of the church and ask God to help us to stay faithful to him. But when I share about these people who are at home like that, what is their heart cry? They want to be in the game. They want to be involved in the, in the, in the to-do of everything. They want to be involved in the, in, in the wrestling of this whole ministry and do what God has called us to do. And so I want to encourage you, whether you're a child or a teenager or a young adult or you still get some relative good health, today is the time to take those opportunities and do what God has asked you. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Don't wait till next year. Don't say, well, the next year is coming around and I'll wait till I make that resolution with God. Do it today while the time is there. But notice now verse number 9, there's a trophy awarded. So a task assigned, a time allotted, but a trophy awarded. Look at verse number 9. He said, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, we often look at this and we might think, all right, yes, there's a time where we're going to be rewarded. Someday we'll get to heaven as a believer. We will be at the judgment seat of Christ, and God will reward us for our faithfulness, how we've served him. And yes, that will happen, but I don't believe that's what's being talked about here. I believe maybe in part that's being discussed, but do you know what I think is being talked about here is the reward that is seen from helping those who are in need and seeing that need fulfilled in its due time. You know how wonderful it is to be able to help people and see that need fulfilled? Now, sometimes we help people and we don't see things right away. You know, we live in this generation here where we want things right now, don't we? I mean, we have all sorts of fast food restaurants. We have microwaves now to heat things up instantly. We have all sorts of things, and we want our needs met right now. But I'm here to tell you, God is reminding us, just as a farmer plants the seeds and doesn't expect the crop to come up the next day, but there is a harvesting at a certain time, So in the spiritual realm, there is a planting, there is a watering, and there will come a time for that harvest. How wonderful it is for those of you that are here today who are older, and I'll let you categorize what's older, but you've lived for Christ for a number of years. You've helped people. You have led people to Christ. You have taught. You have invested in people and discipled people. And now in these later years, you've not given up. You're still doing some of that. But you're able to look back and you're able to start clipping some coupons because of the way that you've invested in God's work. You know, it was a joy for me. After the service was over there for Dr. Heller... 
I stood out in the lobby. We were waiting for the family who were saying their last goodbyes before we went over to the cemetery for the burial. And I had a number of people come up to me and they said to me, I'm a convert of Dr. Heller's. Another person, I'm a convert. There were five siblings, all of them adults older than me in their 60s and 70s. They said, eight children we were of our parents, and Dr. and Mrs. Heller came and picked us up in their car. There was five of us when he first started the church, and all of us, all eight children eventually got saved, and our mom and dad got saved. I'm like, wow, how tremendous. But I'm here to tell you that you'll not be able to reap unless you do some of the planning, unless you do some of the watering and some of the work of the ministry. And boy, how wonderful it is for that trophy to be awarded. But I want you to notice the last thing is, and I'm going to look at the first few verses, there's a test allowed us. Now, before I go on for just a moment, if I stop with the sermon right now, boy, this would be a nice fluffy sermon. Oh, preacher, he talked about doing good. Oh, how wonderful it is to do good, how God's going to reward us. But you know, the first few verses talk about the sticky business of getting involved with people. And the sticky business of you and I, who are sinful people, trying to think about ourselves and get involved in other people's lives. Look with me at the first few verses here when it talks about this test that is given to us, and it is the test of being a burden bearer. Now listen to this, a burden bearer. You say, preacher, I got a lot of my own burdens to bear. I know. We all do. But God gives us shoulders big enough, if you will, to help from time to time, help alleviate the burdens of others. Sometimes there are some ways that you can do that, and God gives you the strength to do it. This being a burden bearer is not operating under the law, if you will, but it is operating under a principle. Now, he says the law of Christ Sometimes when we think of law, we go back to the Old Testament, all right? Do this, do that, follow this, do that. We think of these commandments that are given. It's not a law in that sense. It's a principle. What is the principle of the Christian life? It's love. How is love shown? Love is shown through actions. Husbands, let me give you a little piece of advice. Don't just keep telling your wife you love her. Show her that you love her. Do good things. Buy flowers once in a while right? I just bought flowers yesterday. I'm just kidding. No, a couple weeks ago, <laughs> just so I could do this sermon. No. <laughs> but honestly, love is better demonstrated than just spoken. And the law of Christ is very simply that we love others. And so loving here is the action, and we're fulfilling this principle that we're getting involved in people's lives, and we're helping to lift the burdens. Now, you and I can't take the burdens off ourselves, but with Christ's help, we can help others. But what does this test look like? Well, it's doing good. It's sharing love to those. Notice here, verse number one. Let me read this again, and then I want to help define and look at some of these words. Brethren... If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an... 
one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What's going on here? Well, let's look at a few words. First of all, let's notice here, if a man be overtaken, the word fault. What is a fault? Well, if you look at the word, it literally refers to a breach against God's law. It could be something that was moral, could be something that was doctrinal, but it was a way that a person had fallen away from what God had said. So there's a fault in a person's life. It's a sin, but notice here they're overtaken. What's that mean? Well, literally it means to be caught, to be found out or detected. It refers to somebody who's guard or surprised. It's far different than somebody coming in and premeditatedly doing something. This is somebody that is caught off. They're maybe tempted in a way that they didn't even realize that temptation was going to come along, and then they're caught up in this sin. But now there's the word restore. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in fault, ye which are spiritual, restore. The word restore is the same word that is used in Matthew 421 of the disciples where the Bible says that Jesus, when he called them, they were mending their nets. They were repairing their nets, literally, making them whole once again. These nets would get holes in them, and holes aren't any good in nets if you want to catch some fish. So you had to mend those nets, make them whole once again so they could be used for the intended purpose. This word restore was also used in the Greek culture by doctors. If a doctor had somebody brought before them who had a broken bone, in order for that person with a broken bone to heal, that doctor would have to actually set that bone back in place. Now, painful, excruciating, but no healing will happen unless that bone is set back in place, unless it's restored now, it has to be restored by somebody who has the knowledge to know how to do it. Don't ask me to go ahead and restore a bo- broken bone. I wouldn't know how to do it. It takes knowledge and skill and care by a doctor to restore that bone so healing can take place. Now, putting all this together in this verse, fault, overtake, and restore, here's what's happened. If we find a person that is caught up in some sin then it's going to require somebody who has care, who has some knowledge of the Word of God to get involved in their life. Well, who's this type of person? Who is it that's to go? Well, look at verse 1 again. If a man be overtaken in a fault, look in the next few words, ye which are spiritual. Now, what's your connotation when you think of that phrase? Sometimes we got this grandfatherly figure sitting back, you know, a guy that's hardly done anything wrong, and we go, well, that's a spiritual man. We might think of somebody that maybe we've never seen him ever do a sin before, we say, well, that's a spiritual man. Now, you know the word spiritual is this. It is a person who is led by the Spirit. That's spiritual. That means any person here today who knows Christ as their Savior, who has a Spirit of God indwelling them, can be a spiritual person. They can be led by the Spirit of God as they're sitting in church and God says, I want you to talk to so-and-so after the service. Yes, Lord. 
I'll go talk to them. I want you to help meet this need. Yes, Lord, I'll be glad to meet that need. I want you to go ahead and pray for this person. Yes, Lord, I'll be glad to pray for that person. They are led of the Spirit of God to meet the needs here. Spirit-led. But this person who is Spirit-led must do it here, the Bible says, with a spirit of meekness. Now, this is not a person coming, maybe to help out with a financial need. Hey, Brother Joe, look, the Lord laid on my heart to go ahead and give you 100 bucks. I'm so sorry that you've been so bad in your finances that you can't keep everything straight. Here's $100 that God told me to give to you. That's not meekness. That's actually myself coming and physically fulfilling the need, but lording over him and saying, you know, you're so crummy with your finances, but I'm so much better. No, no. Meekness is this idea of an attitude, a spirit of that I'm considering myself. In fact, here's what he says, that I'm considering myself lest I'm also tempted, and that is I'm drawn away. It's amazing how many times I have walked away from a counseling situation and I have asked the Lord, Lord, help me to stay faithful to you. I've heard some stories and I've heard some things that people have gone through and I sometimes think to myself, oh my, I'd never do that. I can't believe this person's going through all this type of stuff. But then the Lord rebukes me and I walk away and I say to myself, Lord, help me not to do that. Because do you realize every one of us are capable of committing any sin? Think about that. Sometimes we get, we're saved for such a period of time and we start thinking ourselves so good and wonderful. We start looking at people in the world or we start looking at people that are newly saved and say, oh, those poor people. Look at how, how young in the faith they are, but look at how mature I am. I'm going to just tell you something. You could be worse off than them within a matter of moments. And so when we help out others, we ought to do it in that spirit of meekness and considering ourselves... And we ought to do it, as verses 2 and 3 talk about, as this burden bearer and not a burden giver. As a pastor, as a Christian, all of us together, we ought to look out how can we help alleviate the burdens of people instead of laying burdens on people. Jesus had people who laid burdens on others. There was religious people in Jesus' day who the Bible talks about wouldn't even lift their finger up to help out others, but yet they had a good way of putting out what everybody needed to do. Paul met those same people. There were people known as Judaizers. The book of Galatians has a, has a way of discussing those type of people who uh, talked about the law and adding those things onto the Christian life. And I want to just tell you something. My friend, there ought to be grace that is shown to every person that you come into contact with in this church. Amen. You ought to find a way, how can I give to help out others and 
take their burden away from them and not lay on more burdens on them. That's important. So I want to tell you here something. We've got an assignment that is given to us. The job here that is all too often neglected in the church. We have a tendency sometimes to pretend that sin doesn't happen or we tend to react too harshly when people have sinned. And I want to tell you something that just like there's a pendulum on a clock where we can swing to one end and we can pretend that there is no sin that is happening or we can be so hard on people, my friend, I want to tell you we ought to be balanced and be right in the middle where we are spirit-led to help people and help them live for Jesus. Not laying burdens on them. It's all too easy to respond to people's sin with gossip, with harsh judgment, with undiscerning approval. But oh, how wonderful it is when there's a church body, when people will rally around the hurting ones. I'm just here to tell you, I've been part of a number of churches and have seen and heard of a number of churches that every Christian almost within those churches eat and devour one another. Those churches don't grow. Those churches don't prosper. They're not healthy. No church is free of problems. No church is free of marriages that struggle. No church is free of Christians who have a tendency and are tempted to walk away from God and get involved in some sin. That's going to happen in churches and in Christians' lives. And it is imperative that we as a church not cast stones and not sit and judge, but get into the trenches and help where we can because we need one another. Because you ought to consider yourself. Because I can recall a time when I would think to myself, all oh, these poor people, and then I can look back in my life at some times that I fell in the ditch. And I found myself struggling. And how wonderful it was when people came to my side and helped me. Folks, we need one another. We need to help one another. Help us grow in Christ. God has given all of us to each other. You're here for a reason. Why I encourage people to come on Sunday nights and why I encourage people to come on Wednesday nights is because not only the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, but the interaction with one another, the help with one another. You need people in this church, and people need you. Don't think to yourself, well, they're, gonna, they're, they're not going to miss me tonight. Oh, you'll be missed. You'll be missed. It might take a few weeks, but you'll be missed. Truthfully, look at how you can encourage and help out one another. Do good. We got a whole community out here to do good to. But we got a wonderful group of people, especially, that we need to help.